Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSE podcast. We were uh, kind of joking as we were starting this. This is episode 125. And we're like, <laughs> hi, this is Mark and Steve. This is episode 125. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a lot of episodes. It is. It is. But we are. Uh, we, we love it. Uh, we come back every week to do this again because you are all so awesome. Yes. We have, uh, it's our passion. You said on our last podcast, we're in over 150 countries now, and that just blows our minds. I mean, uh, it's crazy. Two little it's guys like us that could be having that kind of a reach to help is just like, it's just staggering. Yeah. Anyway, thanks to all of you. You make this work by tuning Absolutely. in and sending your questions. And we have a recent question, in fact, that we wanted to address today. <clears throat> so I'm going to read it and then we will jump in. So this person says, my addict, uh, assuming addict spouse or addict partner, is coming up on two years of sobriety and fifth D-Day. That's disclosure day. Those mm-hmm. of you know. I am in therapy and he has been in therapy off and on, changing therapists a few times and seeing them maybe twice a month. He was going to multiple uh, SA meetings each week, even leading some of them. Now he goes a few times a month. And in the early days of our recovery, things were good. He was a different, more accountable person who understood the damage that he had caused. I chose to stay because I saw a change in him. Now I see him falling back into old patterns, Mm -hmm. not committing to his recovery. And consequently, I have fallen back into a lack of trust, fear, and always worrying about how he will behave in certain social and family situations. His character defects are coming through again. How do I communicate my concerns to him when I know his recovery is his and his alone? This slide backward is so upsetting and gaining momentum in my eyes. Mm. You know, these kinds of messages, we really do appreciate, as Mark said, you know, everybody's sending those in to us. And it just, uh, I know we said this like a thousand times on here, it seems like, but every time we get a message like this from a spouse, I think for Mark and I, both of our brains immediately go to our own wives and all this God 
<laughs> that we uh, we put our spouses through and and that addicts continue to sadly put their spouses through. I mean, I think of everyone has a little bit different definition of a D-Day or a disclosure day, but what we typically mean with that is that, you know, this is the fifth time a partner has found out, right, about their, uh, about their addict spouse's, uh, you know, behaviors and uh, whether that was something they disclosed or something that was discovered. I mean, it's, even though those are obviously very different, there's still a level of devastation, no matter what the case. And just uh, we applaud all you spouses for, for, for continuing to choose to work on this. We know that for some, that's not always the right call, but for those that are and are making that tough call, we, we do honor you and, and uh, hope that this will be helpful for you today. Well, um, and, and, and as I read this, Steve, there was, there was a couple things that jumped out at me. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> One is fifth, fifth discovery day. That is a lot. When I hear there's been five discovery days over time, the first thing I think is re-traumatization. Yeah. Right. This this woman's going to every one of those five D days is another another complete trauma, you know, traumatizing event, traumatizing experience happening all over again. Right. And not just happening, it's not like a single trauma happening, it's piling on the former ones. So she keeps right. She keeps dealing with this, this opening up the wound and opening up the wound, wound, and that's extremely difficult. But then you pile on top of that, the fact that now she's seeing him fall back into old patterns. Mm-hmm. Now that that also just causes all of that, as she says, fear, lack of trust. She's like, oh my gosh, there's been five D days. Now he's falling back into old patterns. What's coming next? And what that does for, for spouses or partners is it can easily throw her into the place where a, a big, there's, a, there's a loud voice in, inside of her that says, take control, take control, take control. Yep. Right? That's the only way you can protect yourself is to, is, to, is to clamp down on this guy. And you can totally understand that with five mm-hmm. D days and now him regressing. Yeah, I'd be on hypervigilant, crazy policewoman mode too. Yeah, absolutely. Nope, you're you're so right, and 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 I think that's natural for anyone, but especially like you said, you know, when we're looking at a dynamic where this has just happened over and over again, uh, totally natural, totally understandable, and um, you know, there are lots of today. We want to make sure that we're able to communicate uh, some things that can be helpful for you spouses wherever you find yourself, whether it's the fifth D day or whatever it is, because I think for for the partners of addicts, there is kind of this constant inner battle all, that's going on all the time, right? Of Where's the line? You know, how do I play my part as a wife, as a spouse, but also as an individual in this process? Where does my healing begin and end? And where does his begin and end? What is tied to the relationship versus what should I be letting him own? Right. It's a, it's a complicated dance and, and it does shift as you move through the process. Um, it does, yeah. And so we definitely want to hit on some of those pieces today and want to help you get you spouses walk away with a better understanding of that. Yeah. Um, you know, there is uh, what something that that uh, she said in her uh, message to us is, and the subscriber we definitely appreciate. Uh, she said, or, or I would say, is you know, she's definitely correct. Um, you know, for for the for the listeners out there, your recovery is definitely separate from his. And at the end of the day, if a relationship is to really not just heal, but then also return to a place of healthy functionality, both recoveries at the end of the day have of each individual have to be looked at from a separate perspective, right? I, at the end of the day, no matter how, and this is frankly just as hard for addicts 
on a different on the other side of the spectrum, especially once we start getting into recovery. I mean, one of the hardest parts of this, once I got serious about this and I began to really develop empathy and connect with my spouse's pain, one of the worst parts of this was connecting with the disparity and the unfairness of me having caused all this damage, but not being able to undo it. Yeah. Right? As we talk about on here so often, not being able to quote unquote unpunch your spouse emotionally or physically is really frustrating. Wishing that we could somehow undo it or make it better for them. And it's true that there is a lot that we can do. And we talk about that on podcast episodes all the time. So we'd reference you to those episodes for more information on that. But at the end of the day, I can't do that healing for them. I can only provide that environment. And so uh, both people, if we're really going to make propel a relationship forward in the healing process, we do have to operate from that space of neither one of us can be the other person's savior in this process. Right. Right. We do have to take ownership individually of, of our stuff. Yeah. So if we step over to the side of this spouse who says, okay, had five D days, things were going great, you know, Mm -hmm. for two years, but now he's slipping back and I'm getting really worried by these old patterns. You know, let's talk about her side of the fence, Mm -hmm. right? Her, her side of the court, what can, what can, and should she do? Yeah, it's a position she's in. Yeah, it's a great question. And this, this, we were talking about this before we produced today on the podcast, it's, it's going to be kind of hard to describe this, but I think we're going to do it in a way that'll make sense. Um, and I actually can use an example because I had this conversation with a spouse just the other day. I'm working with a coupleship right now where oh, the wife, the, the partner of the addict, and understandably so, has really fallen into a pattern of using very aggressive, aggressive tactics and language as a way to try to communicate to her partner, hey, the severity of this, right? Mm-hmm. She gets really amplified, very loud, uh, very angry, sometimes very sarcastic in her comments, uh, you know, very cutting in her remarks as a way of expressing her pain. And the pain piece of it is completely understandable. And she owns the fact that this came largely from her family of origin, right? This is kind of how her parents would discipline the kids. And, you know, she sort of learned that this is, you know, when something needs to be corrected, this is how you address it. And we were talking about this the other day. And, you know, initially we kind of started off with the discussion around sort of a traditional, like, you know, hey, it's not nice to be that way with your partner. (laughs) And we we were sort of talking about the moral side of it, which is true. I mean, there's something to be said for that because that won't create intimacy. But then we did move into the dynamic that we want to talk about right now. I remember as an addict, it was it was so much easier for my wife. My wife's name is Brittany. Honestly, it was it was epically easier for Brittany to be pissed at me than sad, right? Than to feel devastated, than to be vulnerable. I would rather have her yell and scream at me all day long. Not that she did much of that, because Brittany is not, that's not really her nature. But when the times that she did, it was so much easier when she was angry because one, I didn't have to connect with her pain because it was all surface level anger stuff. So I didn't have to connect with the devastation as much. And two, it kind of gave me an out because it sort of put me in the victim of receiving yes. all this stuff, right? And yes. so it was a way to sort of dodge that. And what we talked about in this session, and this is what we're going to talk about here. And Mark, I'd love your thoughts on this. We talked about how, you know, really the way to hold a spouse accountable, not only to elicit change, but to really communicate information in a way that can be best heard is actually the vulnerable route, right? The pain and the anguish side of things. 
No, you're so right. I mean, I would much rather have had my wife just been angry and screaming and yelling again, not that she did that hardly ever, because that's not her style. But when she did, it was, I mean, she did get my attention. I'll tell you that. Sure. Yeah. She would get my attention, <clears throat> but it would quickly deflect things away from me and have the full focus be on her anger. Right. And that's what I want everybody listening to realize. It's not that you're not justified. It or isn't legitimate or a very human response for you to get angry and to, you know, scream and yell because you want him to pay attention. You want mm -hmm. it, right. You want him to finally focus and you're tired of all the nonsense and the games that have gone on. But in that anger and, and that lashing out, it really lets him off the hook. Because now yes. it becomes all about your anger and, the, and the, the focus is off of him. The most powerful thing that my wife ever did is when she would, as you said, Steve, get vulnerable. And how did she do that? She would, she would make it all about her. And mm -hmm. here's what I mean by that. She would say, you know, you're, engaged, you're choosing to engage in these behaviors, Mark, and I have to just really share with you the impact that they're having on me. Here's how I feel when I see you do X. Here's what, here's what it does to me when you neglect to do what, why. Here's the, here's, here's the devastation it's creating on our, on our relationship. Yeah. Do you hear the wording on that? And so she would calmly and very vulnerably and authentically express those things to me. And I'm going to tell you, it's like she had taken a eight inch dagger and just like inserted it in my heart. So yeah. Poof. Absolutely. And, and that I had to face it. Right. Yes. It's just like, Oh my gosh, because, because what's the reality? I, I, I do, I did and do love her. I do care. Right. Addicts aren't just cold, you know, mindless, you know, automatons with no feelings. We care. It makes We're just really like, good at distancing ourselves from we our are, Yeah, we are really good at shutting all that off and, you know, running the other direction to escape and medicate. But, I, but it's not because we don't feel, it's because we fear feeling too much. Love how you said that. Yep. Right? We, we, fear, we fear confronting those things. And when, when you as a partner or spouse, when you create the environment where basically your addict partner is confronted with your feelings, your sadness, your devastation, your hurt, your pain. It's very likely that, that he's, it's going to elicit something inside of him that is a catalyst for, if not change, at least starting to consider that possibility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it also cares. So it, it is really the way to hold that true accountability. It's going to create a more likely scenario for change. Um, and now keep in mind, we recognize that safety is, you know, lacking in a lot of these situations. Yes, so sometimes I always can, do this. Yeah. Sometimes it can be done in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Sometimes this has to happen in a therapist office. Uh, that was the case for Brittany and I, she was so scared of me at the time because I was so emotionally reactive, just being honest that our therapist, half the time he was a therapist, the other half, frankly, he was a, like a mediator. Like a referee. You know? Yeah, like really, like to keep me in check for the inevitable when Steve was going to lose his crap, he'd be the one to step in and be like, Steve, you know, like. It's, it's like the boxing <laughs> ring. Brittany's down and Steve's over there emotionally 
beating the heck out of her and the ref has to come and pull him off and stand between them. (laughs) Exactly. And just says, what the crap are you doing? Like, gosh, you know, call a timeout. And so, so sometimes maybe an email is, is a helpful starting point Mm -hmm. for a conversation like this, right? Um, These are all options, but, but we want to start creating that accountability. The second piece is obviously anytime we can, we, if there was one thing that I think every spouse can have in common with one another next to the pain itself of betrayal that we work with. This would probably, this, what I'm going to mention next is it, it's the losing of one's voice in this process. So many spouses feel like they lose their voice. They lose their power in this process. They're trying to navigate their relationship and they're making compromises in the relationship, trying to, you know, somehow keep it together or keep the relationship going. And, and, one of the key elements of recovery for a spouse is taking that voice back and saying, look, I love you and I care about you and loving you does not mean protecting you from my feelings. Loving you means doing the opposite and being transparent with you and saying, look, this is how this impacts me. And I care about this relationship too much to be shielding you from that anymore. Like this is where this is taking us. Right. And and this is why I need X, Y, and Z boundaries, because if I don't hold these, you know, so often addicts, we look at boundaries as these confinements, right? These things that box us in. I'm telling you, we have, we've done whole podcast episodes on this. So we encourage you to go back and listen to them. A, a partner's boundaries, if they're set correctly, guys, if you're tuning into this, they are not ways to box you in. They are your partner's love map. They're, they're your partner's way of saying, hey. You, I, I, how many times, Mark, have we heard in our offices, I've heard from guys, I don't know what she wants. I don't know what she wants. I don't know how to make her happy. I don't know how to make this thing any better. I don't know how, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the one that I hear, damned if I do and damned if I don't. Yes, exactly. There's just no way out of this. And when boundaries are set appropriately, guys, that is the thing you've all been supposedly praying and begging for, right? You want to know how to connect with her? There it is. That's right. right. The boundaries list, if it's set well with a good therapist and it's done correctly, that's what those are. Yep. Boundaries are healthy. Boundaries are a bid for connection. They're the way to get close. Yeah. I want to get close to you. I want to be connected to you. And this is how to do it. Yes. As you called it, this is my love map. You want to get close to me? Here's the path you follow. And frankly, by the way, that's not just something we addict spouses have been looking for. This is the question that has been asked by. Uh, not to be sexist, but by the male gender since the beginning of time. How do I connect with my partner? Right. There you go. Right. That's the way to start. And so this, this piece is really powerful. Now, the second piece of this though, and we got to address this is how do we do that right in a way that doesn't pull us in, right. Or keep us emotionally invested. That's where the self boundaries come into play. Yes. And this is where we really recommend, and we don't have time to go through it today, but there are a lot of useful tools out there for setting self boundaries and also for progressively giving away control or that desire to control a spouse 12 step for example the process of surrender discussed in 12 step circles we've done whole podcasts on that so again i know we keep referring you to previous ones but there are some really good we've done one or two at least on that topic specifically we'd encourage you to go back and listen to those being able to surrender that control is sometimes a day by day hour by hour process especially in the beginning because there's so much fear for a spouse Right. What do I do if I surrender this control? What's going to happen? I'm going to lose in there. Right. Da, 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 da. There, yeah, there are all he, these fears. He's not in control of himself. So if I'm not in control, there is no control. Totally. Right. right. 
Absolutely. And so, so there are lots of elements that you can pair with this along with good boundary setting. Um, but that's where we shift the dynamic, guys. That's really how you do it. Um, you know, you have to, you have to be able to clear. And, and again, spouses, we know that this isn't fair. It's not something you asked for or signed up for. It's definitely not. You definitely didn't sign up to put yourself on the chopping block and have to stay, state to your spouse what should be obvious, right? The sad reality is, is that many of you ladies, and we say this with all the love in the world for addicts, are married to emotional two-year-olds. That's just the reality of it. In certain areas and elements, a lot of the men that you are married to lack the ability to handle in a mature way things like confrontation and difficult emotions and navigating fear and shame and guilt and the rejection and these different types of emotions, right? And there are a whole set of reasons why that is the case. And again, that's not a slam on these men, but but speaking as two guys who used to be that way, no matter how loving or how righteous the reason or the cause, not holding boundaries, not having these conversations, not having your voice at the end of the day, will really come down to probably being the least loving thing that you can do, not the most loving. Well, and so as we get in, you know, we talk about boundaries and Steve, you mentioned self boundaries. There's a really important concept here. <clears throat> it's probably one of the most difficult that both partners will face and, and for addict spouses to hear. And Steve, I, I love the way you've put it in the past. Um, you know, Brittany, basically, she got into healthy recovery and in Essanon and her, you know, her 12-step support. She learned this, this wonderful phrase, this, this relationship or this train is leaving the station. Yeah. I'm on this train and I'm taking the train. I'd love for you to join me, but if you decide not to, I'm head, I'm going down the tracks regardless. It's, it's, the train's leaving regardless. You yeah, just, you want to buy a ticket. <laughs> yeah, you want a ticket, or but it's leaving and I'm on it. Yeah, now that might sound uh, might sound. I would have considered that in my addict years to be cruel, to sure. be cold, to be selfish. But my wife had to get into that place where she said, "Look, the only thing I can be responsible for, the only thing I can have any control over." is my own well-being and my own healthy living and my own healing. Mm-hmm. I can't make you, addict Mark, be in recovery. I can't, I'm not willing to police you and to continue to walk around on eggshells to hold this relationship together. Yeah. I can only be responsible, response hyphen able, able to respond to my own healing and well-being and, and healthy living. Yes. I would love to have you be doing that for yourself at the same time. And now the two of us independently going about those efforts can now become interdependent. That would be great. That's, mm-hmm. that's my highest hope. So yeah, women. And then I know, I know it's so hard to go into that place. This train is leaving because codependency has been modeled to us our whole lives. Yeah. I can't leave him behind. I can't get on the train by myself, uh, right? I can't make progress or do all of these things with my life because mm-hmm. of what he's doing or not doing. Yeah, nope. So true. It's so true. And, and letting go of that is very uncomfortable, but it really is that, you know, that is the option, right? That is the path forward. Again, you got to keep your eye on the bigger goal here, right? And we need to, because what we do in recovery with, with few exception uh, the things that we model in recovery in the early stages largely will carry through to the end. And we're never going to create a relationship that is egalitarian, meaning equal, and one where you're both on equal footing 
if one partner is recurrently engaging in this protect the other partner or enable the other partner process. Mm-mm. It simply won't happen. And, and obviously, it's understandable why so many spouses avoid uh, pursuing it this way because it is hard, it is scary, it involves conflict, et cetera. But putting that off in the short term, 99.9% of the time is really choosing to make it worse down the road um, because we've got to shift those dynamics sooner than later if we're going to really, if this thing is really going to work. Well, and I can tell you from my personal experience when that happened for me years ago after couple decades of hiding my addiction. My wife could see the signs, but she couldn't put her finger on it because I kept all of it very stealthy and hidden. And finally, when it, when it became obvious just how bad things have gotten, I remember one night where she basically had this, the train is leaving the station and I'm on it. Do you want to join me or not discussion? Mm-hmm. She basically said, I just I just, I, I can't, I can't love the man that you have turned into. I just, I'm yeah. not willing to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was just devastating to me. Yep. Now I'll tell yep. you what it did initially. That's, that's the time where I walked in privately by myself into my garage and opened up my gun safe and took a revolver and put it in my hand and thought very long and hard of sticking it to my temple and pulling the trigger. Yeah, because my wife had dared to speak that truth. So the immediate outcome was very, very. Um, it was for me. It was. It was. It was horrific. It was, I never heard her say such a thing. Mm, but I can yeah. tell you, standing here today doing this podcast, that was the turnaround for me. That brought me to a place of decision. Now I didn't get sober right away. It was another, at least another decade. But that was the day I decided whether I want I was in or I was done. Yeah. Decided, you know, the grace of God, I was in. Yeah. But if she had kept walking on eggshells and, and trying to hold me together and live her life so that Mark can be stable, you know, her whole world revol- revolved around keeping things that way for me. Yeah. And it wasn't until she said, I'm not doing this anymore that I finally had a turnaround. Yeah. Oh, so true. Well, everybody, thank you so much for letting us be with you today. As always, there's so much more to say on this subject, but we applaud uh, both you addicts and you spouses for pursuing recovery. This is such a hard process. You know, there's so much involved and there's so many elements to bring together. And it is really a day by day in the trenches battle. And it, and Mark and I can attest it is so worth it. Um, but it is it is a long, hard fight. And we do appreciate you guys being being here with us and and continuing on with it. The good news is, guys, is that relationships do not have to be fixed to become better, right? So often we look at this and we we look at this and we say, well, once we get to like Mark and Steve's time or this much sobriety or that much whatever, then we'll be good. Then we'll be happy. Then we'll be whatever. And the reality is, is obviously those milestones all do bring about new levels of things, but things can get so much better so much quicker if you just put one foot in the front of the other and take those little bites off of this process as we kind of move forward. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to proactively really seriously take those steps, come on over and join us at dare to connect now. Yes. Where absolutely. We get into this three times a week and we get in the trenches about these issues. Yeah. We have a two week free trial going on for that right now, guys, please give us a, give it a check out at, uh, at uh, dare to connect now.com. We'd love to have you there. Love to have you over there. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Great spending time with you, and uh, we'll, we'll pick things back up next time. For sure. Have a great week. 
Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.